Who am I? I felt that this was a question worth answering this Sunday on a very practical level, especially for anyone who may have started attending here over the last three months, as I have been away on sabbatical and am just now, just today, returning. Who am I? I am Rod Richards, proud and pleased to be the minister of this congregation, grateful for my sabbatical time, excited to be back, and eager to catch up with all that has occurred, or, or some of what has occurred, <laughs> and to engage our shared ministry in creative and courageous ways. I also felt it appropriate to raise this question this Sunday because it is a question that was alive for me during this sabbatical period in a unique way. And I began to think about the many different ways in which I have constructed answers to this question throughout my life and wondering what such a question might bring up for all of you. And finally, of course, as questions go, it is often included in the esteemed company of queries collectively known as the big questions. Those questions we engage in pursuit of a meaningful life, those questions that presumably lead toward greater understanding, deeper connection, and profound serenity. At least we can hope for the latter. What better place and time to raise the question than here in a congregation and now in worship? And I trust that you will all come up with definitive answers to this question of identity, who am I, in the next 20 minutes or so, which will make for even livelier conversation in the social hall after the service. But alas, it all becomes a little more complicated when we move to answer such a question. Suddenly it doesn't seem so clear what is being asked, even if I am the one asking myself which leads to internal arguments that are frankly a little embarrassing. What do you mean, who am I? You mean, what do I do? Where am I from? What is my name? What are you asking here? And of course, you is me asking myself. Well, you get the picture. <laughs> and in some ways, though the question still shows up as one of the biggies, it has been demoted in many circles, not least of all in Unitarian Universalism precisely because of its laser-like focus on the individual, we have been challenged to look at these kinds of questions more inclusively, more relationally, to ask not who am I, but whose am I? Because there is no identity outside of relationships, writes Reverend Victoria Safford, quoting Quaker teacher Douglas Steer. You can't be a person by yourself. To ask whose am I is to extend the questions far beyond the little self-absorbed self and wonder who needs you, who loves you, to whom are you accountable, to whom do you answer, whose life is altered by your choices, with whose life, whose lives is your own all bound up inextricably in obvious or invisible ways. And Reverend Fred Muir, noting Unitarianism's deep roots in individualism, has bemoaned the creation of what he calls the I-Church, 
which he says with its excessive focus on the individual, has severely damaged our potential in building beloved community. Board members read a collection of essays called Turning Point last year, responding to these ideas of Muir's and describing some exciting innovations within Unitarian Universalism. Muir writes, if individualism led us to the iChurch, covenant can open the way to the beloved community where the promise of individuality and justice inspire, empower, broaden, and deepen all. And heck, Alan Watts, drawing from Buddhist teachings, would like us to drop this whole notion of I altogether. We are struggling to make sure of the permanence, continuity, and safety of this enduring core, the center and soul of our being, which we call I. For this we think to be the real person, the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the knower of our knowledge. But this I, he says, does not exist. I like to refer to this passage as a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> All of this to say that in planning this sermon, I begin to feel a little out of step. More than a little archaic in my concerns. I'm supposed to come back from sabbatical with some sort of profound enlightenment and new ideas, not old, tired questions that not only resist being answered in any sort of helpful way, but probably, according to many, should no longer even be asked, at least not in this form. And I get it. I do. I applaud the move toward answering questions of identity in relational terms. Who needs me? Who loves me? To whom am I accountable? To whom do I answer? Whose life is altered by my choices? With whose life, whose lives is my own all bound up inextricably in obvious or invisible ways? I applaud the move to recognize the detrimental ramifications in our nation in our congregations and in ourselves of an unexamined and often irresponsible glorification of individualism. I would not be standing here before you today if I did not value covenant, community, and deepening connections. Far be it from me to argue with Alan Watts and certainly not with the Buddha about the very idea of I being an illusion that may very well be the case. And yet, if it is an illusion, it is a particularly stubborn one and maybe a practical one. Even to express agreement with Watts and Buddha, I find myself saying, yeah, sure, I is an illusion. I can see that. <laughs> Wait, who can see that? And I know language fails us. It happens all the time, and I was gently and not so gently reminded of that in the middle of writing a sermon again after a lengthy break. Words fail me all too often, and yet as imperfect as they are, we find ways to make them communicate something about our understanding and reality and fears and hopes and selves. We communicate something about ourselves. What is this self 
I speak of. It may not have all the substance or solidity that I attribute to it, but it is a handy way to refer to something. A community of we, after all, is made up of individual eyes. And each of us, I'm going to guess, grapple with this idea of ourself. What is it? Who is it? So I believe even, or maybe especially in our pursuit of beloved community, that there is still a place for this question, who am I? How we understand ourselves, our individual selves, has an impact on how we relate to one another and the world. We are indeed, as scientists and mystics and artists and philosophers and environmentalists and songwriters and preachers and teachers and poets tell us, we are all part of one life arising from a single source. And the boundaries and separations and disconnections and isolations that we imagine are largely illusory when it comes right down to it, wherever and whatever it may be. And still we live with the reality of separation and disconnection and isolation and loneliness and the experiences cannot simply be discounted as illusion. Both things can be true. Life is replete with paradox. It is part of the wonder and also the frustration, the joy and the sadness, the peril and the promise. As we work to correct the destructive patterns of excessive individualism in Unitarian Universalism, we should also remember the gift embedded in our first principle. The recognition of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And remember what a blessing it can be to have a community encourage one along a journey of self-discovery and honesty. Because while we are part of the whole, for whatever reason or purpose or from whatever random happening or happy accident, I find myself, yep, I find myself in this situation where I feel called to take responsibility for this piece of the whole, this particular configuration of star stuff, this nearly undetectable microscopic fragment of life that sits on one of the bazillions of tiny, tiny quivering threads that weave together into delicate but sturdy frameworks that join up to make the interdependent web of all existence. <laughs> this is my piece of the whole. Not in that I own it, but in that I am accountable to it and responsible for it. As Henley would say, I am the captain of my soul. And though I do not control the wind and the waves, though I control, in fact, very little, I seem to have some measure of influence in guiding this piece of the whole, directing this configuration of star stuff, influencing this particle on a thread in a framework on the web in how it interacts with that web. I seem to have some influence in the sorts of vibrations that are sent out along the strands of that web that ripple outwards in ways I can sometimes see and in ways I will never be able to track. 
Just as I am moved by traceable and untraceable vibrations from others on this interdependent web, in this inescapable network of mutuality, on this single garment of destiny, in this undeniable connection to life, the universe, and everything. So in taking responsibility, accepting accountability for the actions and responses of this piece of the whole, it strikes me that it would be wise to familiarize myself with it, to understand as best I can this configuration of star stuff. In the words of the oracle at Delphi, to know thyself. All of that being a very long introduction to and defense of the question, who am I? But never fear, the October theme is identity, and we'll continue to look at the variety of ways this question can be posed and however imperfectly and tentatively answered throughout the month. But before we let go of it today, I want to return to a part of the inspiration for it I mentioned at the beginning. One of the revelations I had on sabbatical was just how much of my answer to that question, who am I, is wrapped up in my introductory answer. Who am I? I am Rod Richards, minister of this congregation. I am a minister. That is a large piece of my answer to the question of identity. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. We probably all would answer the question in part with some mention of what it is we do, the work to which we are called or which has been thrust upon us, the activities which we engage. But suddenly I had an extended period of time in which my identity as a minister was not the most important or even necessarily a recognized piece of who I was or the person I was presenting to the world. In some cases, it was interacting with people who indeed know I'm a minister, but it is not the primary way in which they relate to me. Family, old friends. In other cases, it was with people I had just met or was getting to know, encounters with other travelers on a train or a plane, casual conversations in various locales. Sometimes it was just me sitting at a coffee shop on a Sunday at about this time of the morning, asking myself, so who am I now? Now let me be clear, I was not reckless with my newfound anonymity. There will be no sordid revelations throughout the year of lost weekends in Vegas or embarrassing moments caught on Instagram. (laughs) Fingers crossed. No, I'm teasing Quite the contrary, I was not enticed to hide from my identity as a minister, but I realized that there may be times in which I use my identity as a minister to hide. You see, part of what I love so much about ministry is that I feel that I can bring, indeed I am constantly challenged to bring my full self to the work. It is a piece of what I love about the work. I can be myself. But I have come to realize in the fleeting vulnerability that I felt in not being known as a minister that I have sometimes used that identity to circumvent some deeper questions 
about who I am. I have used my role not as an answer, but as a way to avoid answering. I am a minister, but who is the person who is ministering? And all of this is not a request for congregational psychotherapy of your minister. (laughs) It is only to say that I am engaged in the questions right alongside you. That I have found the task requires, yes, a healthy dose of sacred flexibility as the answers can change as we do. And the same answer can serve to illuminate at one time and to obscure at another. That there probably are no perfect or definitive answers, but to engage the question, who am I, is to take seriously our responsibility and accountability as captains of our souls in guiding our piece of the whole toward deepening connections, in letting our light shine. For all life is a gift that we are called to use to build the common good and make our own days glad. So, you who have gathered pieces of the whole, amazing configurations of star stuff, beautiful particles on the thin threads of the delicate but sturdy framework of the interdependent web, all you little lights, shall we sing? If so, say, I. The eyes have it. Please rise in body or spirit and join in singing number 128 for all that is our life.